Stick will keep it himself. Running to the outside, he tries to get the corner, and he does. Touchdown, Easton Stick. North Dakota takes the early lead. And now we'll get our first taste of Pat Kehoe and the Blue Hens offense today. Kehoe, the first ever Blue Hens quarterback to throw for more than 200 yards in the first three starts of his career. Kehoe to pass. Pressure comes, and it is intercepted. That's six the other way. Jabril Cox, the redshirt sophomore, with a 33-yard interception return for a TD. They'll read, and Stick keeps it up the middle to the left side. He's got a touchdown, his second of the day. Stick with time to the end zone, complete. Touchdown to the running back, Bruce Anderson. 18 yards down the field. When it rains, it pours. From a hotel room in Fargo, North Dakota, this is the Delaware Football Roundup by WVUD Sports. With Jake Lampert, I'm Brandon Hovec. Jake, it's been a long day. It is 9.17 p.m. Central Time, 10.17 p.m. Eastern Time. Our day started about 3.15 a.m. Eastern Time, but it's been a fun one as we journeyed out here to cover the Blue Hens game against the North Dakota State Bison. It was not the game that Delaware would have hoped to play when they came out here to North Dakota State to face the number one team in the nation, a team that they idolize and want to take parts of and build a culture similar to. But there are some interesting things that come out of this 38-10 to loss by the Blue Hens, and we're here to break it down as we do each week on the Delaware Football Roundup. Yeah, there was a lot um, last year against Virginia Tech that we figure out as a learning experience. And when you look at this year against North Dakota State, while there are learning experiences and there's definitely positives to take away, this just doesn't feel as good try for lack of a better term, than Virginia Tech That's definitely for lack of a better term. That's a tough term. It doesn't, like, I don't feel that gratitude or that self-accomplishment of this Delaware team. Like, yeah, we put up a good fight 38-10. Because they didn't. And it's just, I want, there are, there are some goods. There really are some goods. Not a lot, but there are some goods. And I want to be able, like you mentioned, that this team wants to be this North Dakota State. This wasn't the way to do it. Yeah, and obviously that's not something that Delaware is just going to accomplish overnight. This is a team that has won six of the past seven national championships. It's a program that here clearly has a different following than what we've seen at the University of Delaware, even perhaps back to the Joe Flacco era. Even you talk about the most successful Delaware teams, I don't know if there was ever quite the frenzy that we saw today. Obviously it was homecoming today, so a little bit of a different take than maybe the average game day for North Dakota State, but still, that's something that we'll get into on this show. But as far as what happened out there on the field, you mentioned that game against Virginia Tech, 27-10. to 10. It was 10 to nothing at halftime in that one, and there was a chance it could have been 10-7 or 10-3 uh, in that one. Today, 28 to nothing after the first quarter. North Dakota State comes out First drive, they go nine plays, 75 yards, finish it off with the quarterback keeper run for a touchdown. And then Delaware gets out there. Pat Kehoe's first pass is intercepted and taken back the other way for six. Right away, Delaware's down 14 to nothing. And then the defense wasn't able to get stops. And the offense wasn't out on the field very long. So one of the things we talked about a lot on the game broadcast was that the defense, though it had struggled to start with, 
probably wasn't helped any by being out on the field and not having a lot of time on the sideline. Yeah, the time with possession was something that we've talked about a lot, and it really did even out later in the game. North Dakota only ended up with about four or so minutes more than a 30-30 split. North Dakota with 34 minutes, Delaware therefore with 25 minutes. But in that first quarter, and especially the second, the, the first was about nine minutes, ten minutes to five minutes at the end. Then the second was almost a seven-minute gap between them. And then it finally took them in the third quarter to realize, okay, we need to keep our defense off the field. They need to be able to breathe and relax because this was a North Dakota team that ran the ball well. And it wasn't even that they ran it dominantly. The damage was in the air. Easton Stick torched them for 280 yards and two touchdowns. He rushed for two of his own touchdowns, and they had 240 yards on the ground along with 287 in the air. And I'm surprised to hear that that number on the ground was so high. I actually don't have my final uh, stat sheet in front of me. I actually gave it to Coach Rocco, and I never got it back. Um, I forgot to tell you that. Before the press conference, he, we were waiting for him to go in there, and he asked if anybody had seen the final stat sheet, and I was the only one who had one. So I showed it to him, and he turns and he goes, I'm going to keep this for, for when I go in there. And I was like, all right. If you have to. All right, it's yours. Um, so I am surprised to hear that the, the rushing number ended up that so high. Adam Cofield, who was their fourth back for all extents and purposes, has seven carries for 78 kind of in garbage time with the big 59-yard run. So that certainly helps the average. But uh, the, the, the difference in this, and Rocco talked about it a little bit in his press conference, was that this team came in averaging over, this North Dakota State team averaged over 300 rushing yards per game, just 114 passing yards. And Rocco thought, coming into this one, given that Delaware was a bit more of a challenge than North Alabama and Cal Poly, North Dakota State's first two teams' uh, opponents of the season, he thought that they might try to throw the ball a little bit more and start to get into some of their deeper packages and personnel uh, within their playbook, and that's exactly what they did going out there early on with Easton Stick. A lot of play action, a lot of bootlegs to use his athleticism and his legs to get guys open down the field. And then eventually, toward the end of the game, they get back to the running game. And in the second half, they didn't score as much, but they are able to take all the time off the clock and to keep Delaware from ever really having a sense of being back into the game. I mean, to put it this way, every offensive touchdown was a product of Easton Stick. I mean, that might not sound like much, but... There was no rushing touchdown that he didn't produce. There was no passing touchdown that he didn't throw. He was the entire offense, 280 yards in the air, and then he put up 41 yards on the ground with two touchdowns. And we talked about it. it was, it's so hard to guard a team that's two-dimensional, that has a great run game and a great pass game. It's even harder to guard a team that's three-dimensional, a great run game, a great pass game, and a great quarterback that can do it all. And it was hard for Delaware to kind of the adjust. quarterback. Yeah, it was kind of hard for Delaware to adjust because – Taking one out of the game is easy enough. You load the box, you drop another safety. Taking two out of the game is doable, but you leave the third wide open. And that's what we saw a lot of these plays where Delaware crowds the box and marks their running backs and drops a man out in the zone. And Easton Stick is smart enough to understand, okay, we'll take the play action, and I'm just going to run it. And I still believe that this is a very talented Delaware defense Easton Stick is a really good quarterback. Yeah, I mean, four-year starter, uh, thirty-six and three, I think it is. Yeah, well, now thirty-seven and 37 three and three. as a starter since he took over as a true freshman for Carson Wentz. Finished the last eight of that games of that 2015 season, eight and zero. They win the national championship. He's won three national champion, or excuse me, two of the three years he's been here 
at North Dakota State. He's won national championships. So he's obviously accomplished, and the passing numbers aren't always there because this team's so good at running the football, but a lot of that runs through him. And you saw today, I thought, especially in the first half, on those probably the third and fourth drives of the game that got them to 21 and 28 points, he was just picking Delaware apart. It seemed, you know, Delaware showing maybe more pressure off one side of the line than the other, and the play calls going the opposite way. Some misdirection in the running game. At times, Delaware was on two different third downs. They only rushed three on the defensive line and dropped eight back into coverage, and Stick just stood there in the pocket and waited for things to develop. And on one of those plays, it was the really nice ball down the left sideline that he just lays in there over the quarterback. Uh, just a you know a pro-type throw and play, taking the time, having the composure to step up in the pocket and then drop in a beauty over the top of the Blue Hens defense. And it's interesting you mentioned that play because that kind of leads into the other point I was thinking, that these Delaware safeties, these Delaware corners, didn't really have their best game today. Tenny Adewusi, I think, struggled a little bit. Adewusi struggled a little bit. We saw for the first time probably in my entire career here at Delaware, Nazir Adderley get burned twice. Him being the cornerstone defenseman had two pretty it's, bad plays. It's tough to say he's burned since he's playing safety, but he certainly well, well, didn't, he dropped into he certainly didn't play, make as many plays in this game as the North Dakota State receivers made against the Delaware secondary. Well, the play that you're mentioning, the lob, he dropped into man on that play, and he got beat down the sideline. That's kind of what the what I'm going at with burned. And while he didn't get totally ankle-broken, 50 yards downfield kind of burned, it was enough that a top-tier player, especially someone garnering NFL looks, probably shouldn't happen to. Overall, though, I think the defense kind of got it together. Three scores in the first on the offensive end, they settled down. North Dakota didn't score in the fourth quarter, given maybe not their best 11 players on the offensive end, but still didn't score in the fourth. Only a field goal in the third, given probably not a lot of their offensive players in, but they still stopped a competitive North Dakota team. And that was something that Troy Reeder talked about after the game. They were really well balanced. Um, they, they threw the ball with accuracy and... Um, found some weaknesses that in our defense that we adjusted to uh, heading into the second quarter and second half. Um, you know, they're, they're well coached. Um, I, I think we just came back on our, came out on our heels a little bit and unfortunately took a little while too long before we got our feet back under us. Delaware was definitely exposed in the first half. North Dakota State gets off to that hot start. He said they found weaknesses in the defense. But then in the second half, the intention for the team shifted to winning the second half. And defensively, they were able to shore things up. And the message moving forward from a senior leader like Troy Reader to the team is that Delaware still has all of the components that it believes it needs to be a successful team within their conference and to make the playoffs, especially on the defensive side of the football. So stay the course. You have a week now with the open date for preparation and to kind of go back and find what went wrong and what went right through non-conference play and adjust before CAA play resumes. And to you know make the most of this opportunity with this group of seniors that they have defensively. And to me, I look at this defensive performance, 527 total yards allowed, 38 points, 28 in the first quarter, as we've mentioned. I look at this defensive performance as more an anomaly than I think a reflection of the 
talent and caliber of the defense, a defense that was put in the hole early. But there are some parts and some players that you would have liked to see rise to the occasion a little bit more in this game. You're not expecting Delaware to be in a 21-19 game with North Dakota State. But like we saw last year against Virginia Tech, you'd like to see them make a few stops, especially in the beginning parts of the game, and they weren't able to do that. My big three takeaways for this game, the first one's on the offensive end, and it's that Pat Kehoe needs to slow down. Given North Dakota State was a loud environment for him, he was rushed, there was a lot of pressure going on, not necessarily by the players, but by the fans, by the coaches, by the other team's coaches. He needs to slow down a little bit. A lot of the throws he made, some of them to Joe Walker, overthrew him once, missed the back shoulder on him another, missed Vinny Papali pretty badly, missed Owen Tyler once pretty badly. Just He's 11 to 29. Down. He missed a lot of throws. Just needs to slow down. He had a few of them if he just relaxed and slowed down. Second one on the defensive end is you need to be able to stop the bleeding. That's not easy to do against North Dakota, but they gave up big play after big play after big play. If you give up a 20-plus yard rush, you better be sure that the next rush does not get them another first down. Just stop the bleeding, slow it down a little bit, let yourself catch up. And the third is a team as a whole. I think they just got exhausted. They just lost all momentum on the very first play of Pat Kehoe's game. The pick six was their dagger. It took the wind out of their sails. However much wind was in it, they looked dead after that. And it took them until after halftime to regain that momentum and play a competitive game. Rocco had something funny to say about that start. Somebody in the post-game press conference asked him, you know, what's the difficulty associated with starting like that? How do you try to climb out of a hole when not only are you down 14 to nothing with less than five minutes gone by in the game, but it happens in such a deflating manner like you just described? And he said, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I wouldn't wish, wish that, that start enemy. upon my worst enemy, that it's the worst possible way you could start a football game, especially one like this with the stakes of going up against the number one team in the country at their home place in a game that was the furthest Delaware has ever traveled for a regular season matchup. You know, it kind of threw Delaware out of their groove, especially offensively from the beginning. I said on the broadcast a couple of times that, kind of like you were saying, Pat Kehoe, to me was just uncomfortable in the pocket. And where he was poised in weeks two and three against Lafayette and Cornell and seemed to be in control for most of those games where even if he was missing throws, he was making the next one. Today, in the pocket, he was not aware of pressure that was coming. He was not always looking up down the field when pressure was coming inside the pocket. And then at times when he did get the few seconds where he should slow down and settle in in the pocket and make an accurate throw down the field, it was almost like in the second half, geez, this guy's wide open. I, I got to throw now before it closes up or before somebody gets to me. And he rushes a throw and airmails one from Joe Walker, throws it over somebody's head, and it's intercepted. He had two throws in this. I don't know if you've mentioned them or alluded to them where I thought they could have been interceptions. One was a roughing the passer penalty that took it back. The other was simply a drop uh, on an out route to Owen Tyler. So in this one, he has three interceptions and he loses the fumble. It could have been worse, which is not something that you want to say about your starting quarterback, who we were all very hopeful about through the first three weeks of this season. I don't know what I'm more surprised about, and I'll ask you this thing. Delaware's rushing, 57 total yards. Delaware's receiving, 
95 total yards. Delaware was coming in averaging 200 plus yards in the air, which is something that we've never seen before. We talked about it. It's been constantly closing the gap between rushing and receiving since 2015 and been going up. Which are you more surprised about? The fact that Delaware couldn't break 100 in the air or they couldn't even get to 60 on the ground? I'm more surprised about the passing numbers. I think if you had explained a scenario to me where Delaware was able to throw the ball a little bit in the second half, but had the running game taken away from them early on by a very strong North Dakota front seven, I would have said that's very realistic. That if Delaware came out and they wanted to run the ball in first and second down on their first few drives of the game, and they were denied, that they would eventually have to go away from the run. And it might simply just not work today against the physicality and athleticism of that North Dakota State defense, which was the fastest that we have seen by far of the four teams that Delaware has played this season, and perhaps the fastest that we've seen for me in probably the last two and a half, three seasons. So I would have said, yes, this is a very talented running game and a backfield that I think will be one of the better ones in the CAA, but I could see them falling short of that 100-yard mark. Where I'm surprised uh, is in the passing game that I thought, Second half of this game, even if the game was a little bit out of hand, they would be picking up some chunks of yardage here and there that Pat Kehoe at minimum would have 160, 170, but would probably be right around that 200-yard threshold. And when you're behind in these games, you either have two options. You either can say, I'm going to aim downfield, I'm going to make my big plays, you have to because you're behind, or you can tell yourself, I'm going to play conservatively because I don't want to throw any interceptions. It didn't seem like that offense picked one of those sides. And if they did, Keo just missed the throws. Because I think they might have shifted towards that go downfield kind of look, and he missed a lot of those throws. I would say that it probably shifted to that in like the second quarter, where you're down 28 nothing, but there's still 45 minutes of play left. So you feel that you owe it to your team to try some urgency, try some no huddle. But then when you come out of halftime, 35 nothing. You probably come out saying, we just want to run our stuff. And just put something on the board. We want to win the second half. We want to put something on the board. We're going to get in and out of our offense. We're going to settle things down. We're not going to let the crowd go crazy with us running up to the line, third down after third down. We're going to settle in. And they did that to some extent. They did push the ball into North Dakota State territory a couple times. A couple drives ended at the 50. But again, just largely unsuccessful all the way around. speed they're really physical uh, they rush the passer well and going down 14 nothing like we just talked about quick kind of forces you to play um, outside of your scheme that we normally do trying to get back in the game and uh, I think that kind of prohibited us from getting our running game going which is so vital in our offense if there is any positive it's that you know we, we got the guys still to do something special there's there's no question about the 11 to 18 guys that we play in the game offensively and defensively, whether they just can't get it done. It's not about the Jimmys and the Joes with us. We we just got to get back in the mental preparation part of our game. And we have two weeks now to self-evaluate, look at ourselves and, you know, individually um, 
scheme, what, whatever we do, get back to playing our, our style of offense and defense. So I've written down setup. We alluded to this off the top, but we are set up in our hotel room in Fargo, North Dakota. And I was mentioning to you, Jake, before we started that I feel like a true DIY podcast. We got our tie line broadcast equipment, audio recording us with our headsets on from the hotel room. Typically, we're in our production studio, which is grade A. A thousand percent quality. I hope this is still pretty good as you're listening to this right now. But that's one thing to note. So if you're interested in that, maybe we'll throw up a picture on Twitter or social media. Our day started at 3.15 a.m. with a flight, well, a drive to the Philadelphia airport, a flight from Philadelphia to Minneapolis, a flight from Minneapolis to Fargo, a drive from the Fargo airport to the Fargo Dome, where we were from, what time did we get to the Fargo Dome? I would say 11.30-ish? 11, 11.30, somewhere Ish. in there. Yeah. So we walked around where the tailgates were, which were pretty wild. I have a couple pictures of those on my Twitter, at Hovec underscore Brandon. One thing that impressed me, or I guess was just an observation from the tailgates with the number of flags i think we had seen that last year in blacksburg with virginia tech to some extent but i mean it's like if you don't have a flag that says ndsu are you even allowed to drive a car in this city not even drive a car wear it as a cape hold it in your hand are you allowed to run a business that doesn't have ndsu logos outside of our hotel it's i think you probably don't you probably don't make it in this town if you don't have that so that was one thing so we come in here, 11 o'clock. The game starts at 1 our time, 2 Eastern time. Game ends at about, what, 5 Eastern time, 4 our time, something like that. It was a long game yeah. with a lot of TV timeouts. And then Jake waits up for me as I go to the press conference and then write a story for the review, which is live, udreview.com. And then we finally make it out of there back to the hotel room and then to downtown to dinner. We made it to this place called, Sh- what was it called? She- Shields. 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 We're trying to look for the bag. Yeah, I ended up in a North Dakota Shields, State yep. bison hoodie, which I'm repping right now. Shout out to the bison, yellow. All it took was a 38 to 10 game, I guess, for me to jump the ship. Um, so that was our latest step. And then now we've made it to the podcasting makeshift studio here at 1037 Eastern Time, 937 our time and we know about seven or so eight or so i'll give those benefit of the doubt eight or so hours oh yeah we're flying right back tomorrow morning yeah we'll be getting up and we're not gonna be going to bed anytime soon we still gotta finish this and start doing some other work but eight or so hours will be up and right you're you're gonna start planning for blue end sports cage i am yeah we i'm out next week yeah i'll be at a concert but jake's holding it down with a huge rotation of wvd sports members so that's cool um next comment on my list of things that I collected today was um, this This goes back to the game I just wanted to ask you in grand terms so the the thing with this game is now Delaware's 2-2 two and two on the season right so they lose to Rhode Island week 1 they defeat Lafayette and Cornell in weeks 2 and 3 and obviously they lose today 38-10 to to North Dakota State 
open date next week, so a time for Delaware to reset and reflect. It sort of serves as the midway point in the season. It's a break between non-conference play and conference play. And as we know, all games are important, but the ones that really count toward playoff FCS consideration are those in conference play. You have to handle the ones in conference. So not next week, but the week after on the 6th of October, they'll travel to Richmond to face off against Danny Rocco's old squad in the second game of CAA play. And my question to you, Jake, is coming out of the Cornell game, is there anything that you've learned since Cornell through this week and including this game that you didn't already know? Is there an opinion of yours on this team that has changed based on the outcome or certain things that happened in this game? Or is this game something that you can kind of throw out to left field, in a sense, and your opinions of the team and of specific players are largely the same as they were coming out of Cornell? My opinions, while the same, they're stronger. And my biggest opinion on this team is that they get better over time and not necessarily week over time, like game over time, like from the first to the second to the third. They are get better. They progress. A lot of teams actually slow down. They get tired. They get fatigued. This team gets better. It's been reinforced through every single game to date that they've got better over time, and it showed in this one especially. So that's why this off week's important. They get to calm down. They get to settle. They get to be totally refreshed. When they travel to Richmond, I guarantee you you're going to see this team be shaky in the first quarter. Keogh's going to make some – Dumb passes and the defense might get burned on one or two plays. But come that second half, this team is going to be locked in and try to erase any deficit if there is one and secure the lead if they have one. It sounds a lot like the Stony Brook game from last year yeah. that you were describing. 20-7, to Delaware trailed in that one. That was week five in the season. Second half, they mount the comeback and they win it 24-20. to Does your opinion of Pat Kehoe change after this game. He was the first Delaware quarterback ever to have more than 200 passing yards in his first three starts. Today, 11 completions and 29 attempts, 95 passing yards, three interceptions, and a lost fumble. He was sacked a bunch, so his running totals are also very scary. Five attempts for minus 25 yards. Yeah, I definitely have a different look at Pat Kehoe than I did before. Okay. Because I feel like maybe we were really high on him due to the opponents, um, which is fair, which is a fair thing to be. But this kind of brought him down to earth. This kind of reminded us like, all right, we might have our quarterback, but he is nowhere near ready to be a competitive quarterback come down the stretch if we need him. Oof. And that's what we've seen. We saw him on a huge stage, not even a playoff stage, throw really bad. Bad, inexperienced passes, which is fine. Over the pa- some of the passes he made were great. The first first down we had to Charles Scarf, it was a great play call. He made the risky pass bootleg. and he hit it. Him and Owen Tyler running parallel towards the sideline. He decided to go to Charles Scarf. It was a good play. He's a talented quarterback. He's our quarterback, but he made inexperienced and really rookie rookie mistakes. So that's what this whole season is going to be about. If down the stretch, he can keep learning and learning and learning. So when we get deeper and deeper into the season, when we hit our Towsons, when we hit our Villanovas, when we hit our Stony Brooks, he won't have any rookie mistakes anymore. He will be the Pat Kehoe that we need him to be. The defense will be the defense that we need them to be. And we will fall somewhere near the top of the CIA. I feel like a lot of this game can be 
kind of put aside. And I do think it knocks maybe a slight peg down from the first three weeks. But what encouraged me about the first three weeks was that though they were against inferior opponents, particularly Lafayette and Cornell, he had achieved a lot more than what we had seen guys like J.P. Caruso and Joe Walker do against similar competition. So to me, last week seeing against Cornell, the Big Red stacking the box, and Kehoe time and time again being able to complete the deep pass to Joe Walker was really important and was a big step for this team. If that can be part of the offense, it would be an entirely new dimension. I do still think he's capable of consistently completing passes like that down the field, but it does reel things back a little bit, but I will give most of it to North Dakota State's defense, just being one of the best, if not the best, at this level and keeping Delaware's offense largely in check. I think one of the things that our broadcast today sort of focused on was trying to convey the atmosphere and the energy from the crowd through the broadcast and describing what the Fargo Dome brought to the game that we typically don't experience at Delaware Stadium at Tubby Raven Field. If you can, in any way, describe the the scene at the Fargo Dome and then the energy, and then in a little bit we're going to do a couple comparisons. Well, it was huge. Um, comparing it to every game that we've had so far, they've all been home games, and I'm going to compare it to the most accurate thing we have, and that's opening against URI. Both stadiums were effectively sold out, pretty much. Not really. Not Delaware Stadium. Delaware looked very Delaware Stadium full. was about 18,000 of 22,000 for opening night. Then they filled it nicely because every seat or every section that I looked at was, to the eye, pretty full. Um, it was kind of the same vibe. I'll, I'll put it that way. It was the same vibe that both teams were involved in the game. But the thing that North Dakota had that Delaware didn't is that Every single fan there was focused on football. When you look at Delaware, a group of four, a family of four goes, maybe only two people are really into the game. When you looked at North Dakota today, every single person, mom, dad, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, child, was involved in that football game. They were watching. They were making noise. They were doing all their symbols that North Dakota wants to do. Yeah, what was the, what was this thing? They put the horns up. up. Horn up, baby. Horn up. That's what's the difference because every single person was focused on that game. They had the That's players point. had every single fan in their pockets. When they asked for noise, they got noise. When they asked them to quiet down, you can hear a pin drop from across the stadium. Yeah, it was pretty incredible the difference between the crowd on the Bison's offensive possessions and their defensive possessions. Offensively, I almost got a little distracted by how quiet it was in there. And because it's a dome, it's inside, there's no ambient sound. If nobody's cheering or chanting, there's no sound at all. It's just it's just silent. And they let their offense operate and just go to work. And as soon as they score, then the stadium erupts. On the other side of the ball, early on in the first quarter, they were all over Delaware's offense. It got way louder. It got very loud on the introduction sequence where they have the video monitors with ACDC and they bring all the lights down and it's almost like a basketball arena as the players run out onto the field with the marching band on the field as well. Later in the game, they kind of lost their luster because it was such a big blowout and a lot of the fans eventually left. They probably went back outside and tailgated for a couple of hours because it was a really nice afternoon here, about a 
high of 59 or 60 and pretty cool with a nice little breeze. So people stayed late out there and probably came back out after the game was in hand against the Blue Hens. Uh, but one other thing I want to ask you about is the the dome versus outside. I just found that interesting from where we were set up vantage point-wise, from the energy in the crowd. To me, it felt like a souped-up version of some of the basketball arenas we've been in as compared to the outdoor big football stadiums, though the capacity is still 18,700 there. It's identical to Towson, but the court is just lower down a lot more. And bigger. Yeah, that's that's how it looked. It yeah. was... It was. I got vibes of the Charleston Coliseum. I personally didn't like the dome. I didn't think it was. I like it. I'm just saying it's different. It felt really different to me. It was different. I didn't think it was too aesthetically pleasing. But given how aesthetically pleasing can you make a dome? Right. Um. And it's like when it's January here, and it's somebody was telling us today it gets to minus fifteen, minus twenty, minus thirty or forty with the windshield. I guess you're not you'd worried the about dome. the aesthetics. You, right. you just glad you're inside. But during days like this, yeah, it today you would have been. You would have loved to be outside. I mean, we when we left the stadium, we were. I felt like we were there all day, and it was still nice and light out when we walked back to the hotel. Yeah. So now, we've been fortunate enough with WVUD to to travel the CAA and to travel to a lot of Delaware's non-conference opponents. And my next prompt to you, and I almost had you do this this afternoon, and then I immediately dropped the save it for the pod on you, is to compare the Fargo Dome and rank it against the other places that you visited as a broadcaster. So my favorite place that I've been to to date is William & Mary. I Ooh. love William & Mary's field. Classic game, the last game of Dave Brock's Delaware head coaching career. Blue Hens up 14-3 to heading into the fourth quarter, also, and they lose. That's also the game where I really learned what we get from Joe Walker. The Joe Walker, where I said oh, two the, years the classic ago, classic pick six interception. Two yeah. years ago on Blue Hen Sports Kitchen, to Teddy, I said where I was like, that was a classic you get game. Good Joe Walker and you get bad Joe Walker, and you just hope you get the good one. And that time we got the bad one. William Mary is my favorite stadium that I've been to. It's beautiful. The press box was great. I love the field. I love the atmosphere. The press box was really nice. Then that that press box had just opened a year or two before we went there. My second favorite is Stony Brook. Uh, Never been there. The place Looks nice. they put us, uh, myself and Nick Canella, and I'm we're fortunate to go back there again, smack in the middle of the bleachers. They gave right. us a nice setup right in the middle of everybody, and it was just so fun to be there, especially for a game like that. And I then I have to put Virginia Tech. Be- yeah. Because I'm surprised. Wow. It's For me, Virginia Tech is number one on my list still. And I thought, based on some of the talk, that the Fargo Dome might have a chance to be up there just because – I thought the fans might be a little bit more into it, given that it's FCS versus FCS. And when you're Virginia Tech going up against Delaware, that's like us going up against Lafayette. It's just not that big of a game to you expect to win. So when we went to Lane, it was really loud and crazy, but I thought maybe North Dakota State could get to a level higher and being in the Dome, it would be a little bit different. It didn't quite get to Lane Stadium, I think, and how like ruckus it was. But Lane Stadium also has 40,000 more people or whatever it is. So to me, with how high up we were and just the whole experience, that's number one on my list. Did you have – I didn't mean to cut you but going through, that was your one, two, three. you have any others, four, five, I six? I mean, other stadiums that I've been to has been Richmond. I wasn't high. I wasn't low on Richmond. It's a nice place. Um, press box-wise, I didn't really get the greatest seat. I went with Mike Bommel two years ago, and it wasn't the most um, – 
spacious setting. Um, I've been to Towson. Towson was great. I really like Towson Stadium. I've seen the stadium there when we when we've gone for basketball. Really low seating. Um, yeah, it really dips into the ground. Press box is in a really great location. Um, That's not a huge stadium either, is nope, it? Nope, very small. Yeah. Um, and other stadiums that I've been to, let me think. Um. I think that's basically it for my away stadiums. I can't think of any other away stadiums that I've been to um, besides basketball and other sports. But right. football, that's probably my ranking. For me, like I said, I go Lane Stadium, Virginia Tech. Number two number two might be the Fargo Dome. It is, it is a different experience going into a dome like this. Uh, but I do really enjoy the crowd element and and walking around the city after the game and a little bit before the game everybody's in yellow and green it's really a huge I mean, this is the thing on saturdays and you, you make all the jokes you want what else is there to do in north dakota there is a little bit more here in fargo than what we would think when we looked out the window on the flight in here it looked all like brown and green farmland for the the final 15 20 minutes of the flight but uh, that being said, they they really go all in on on football Saturdays. So that aspect of it, I really appreciate, and I think is pretty neat and pretty cool. And when you see it all file into the dome, that's pretty awesome. Uh, number three, I would go with um, William and Mary. I thought that's it's cool because it's it's an old stadium with some new elements, right? It's a it's a very old school, obviously. And the track around the um, football field kind of brings it down a peg for me, but the the press box seating and some of the new seating on the home side is very nice there. Um, And then I've also been fortunate to go to Wake Forest, which was a pretty cool stadium too. So I'll throw that up in the running as far as away stadiums uh, that Delaware has traveled to recently. And then one of the other things that we also brought up at the end of the broadcast was that this North Dakota State team is going to come to Delaware next year, week three. And then in future seasons, we already have a lot of the big-time games lined up. They're going to play North Carolina State to finish up the ACC schedule. In 2021, they're playing Rutgers. That was just announced this past week. And then the bigger news, 2023, 2027, Penn State. How does a game like this, if at all, impact those games or have you wonder about those games in the future are there any that stand out more exciting than others to you this and Rutgers will kind of be similar they're not the same animal but they'll be similar um nothing will prepare you for Penn State I mean that is a totally different experience and you think every time you go that you're ready to play Penn State in Penn State but you never are um but I think it's it's good. I think Virginia Tech kind of prepped them for this, and this kind of prepped them for NC State. Um, so I think they'll all tie together, besides Penn State, of course. My last thing, the food on the trip, the food of Fargo, North Dakota. Give me the rundown. Give me your takes on what we had. So we had, uh, besides airline food, airport food, we well, had— Well, inclu- let's, let's include— the stop in Minneapolis. So Minneapolis, we have which is not far from here. Breakfast quesadillas. Um, uh-huh. You got a lobster quesadilla. Yeah, mine technically was a lunch quesadilla. A lunch quesadilla, and I but had at, a breakfast quesadilla at like eight a.m. Um, I was impressed that it came out of an airport, but then again, airport food has gotten exponentially better and broke a lot the of, stigma. A lot of food options at Minneapolis. Then we went to lunch at the stadium. 
uh, press box lunch, which I wasn't thrilled with. It's Salads, fine. your Swedish meatballs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. serviceable. Then we had dinner at a barbecue place, which was, was good. very good. I thought we got a bunch of different things. We just tried them all together, tried a bunch of barbecue sauces. It was a good meal. Yeah. Um, what was the, the, the Dakota sauce? Dakota was it sauce. Called? Dakota yep. sauce, pretty good. Pretty yeah. good Dakota sauce. But then we closed the night with rolled ice cream. Rolled ice cream. Wow. My take is frozen yogurt's dead. It's all about the rolled ice cream now. And if you're not rolling your ice cream, do I even want it? If that ice cream was scooped in the cup, wouldn't be as good. It wouldn't have tasted as good. Uh, yeah. What else did we? End? I think that was it for our meals, unless I'm missing. No, but I mean on that subject, the the Oreo rolled ice cream, my first time, and I'm in. I think it it's got at least six to twelve months, and then something else will overtake it. And well, we won't spoil our business. No, idea. I'm not. I can't can't give out. The ideas like that to the public. You're yeah, right. but then we went to the shop and we got the, the bison gear that I'm sporting right now. Um, I was supposed to ask you something. We sure. were sitting outside of the ice cream place. And I hit you with the saver for the pod. And I forgot what I was supposed to ask you. What were you supposed to ask me? I don't know. I'm going to my list. Let me make sure I didn't miss anything. Set up. We went over that. Long day. Yep. Rocco comments. Yep. We did. I this is on my list. I don't think this is what you're referring to, but I have tax in North Dakota on my list. But I mean, that's that's just kind of the wherever I go. It's uh, oh, there's tax. Like whatever, Delaware's tax free. We get it. I'm gonna remember it. I'd probably like four in the morning one day. And uh, all right, well, there'll be another episode. There will be. So there's there's always another episode here. Um, That'll do it for this. A meandering edition of the Delaware Football Roundup from Fargo, North Dakota. Anything else for the cause, Jake? No, but next week, we're off two weeks. It'll be me and Nick Delaglio heading down to Richmond to call that lovely game for y'all. 3 o'clock p.m. on October 6th is our next football broadcast on 91.3 WVUD. The Delaware Football Roundup is off next week. No episode because there won't be a game We'll be back after the Richmond game on Saturday night or Sunday evening of that weekend. Blue Hen Sports Cage returns on Thursday with Jake Lampert hosting and a bunch of guests from our WVUD Sports Department. We have a lot of guests in the hopper for coming weeks throughout October and November, so be sure to tune in to our live sports talk radio show every Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. on 91.3 WVUD. And abridged versions of that two-hour radio show are available in this podcast feed, the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. For Jake Lampert, I'm Brandon Halvac. Thanks for following our coverage all throughout the afternoon, and we'll talk to you guys soon.